Section 12 of The Influence of Monarchs by Frederick Adams Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 12 Prussia. Looked at from the standpoint of comparative history, in the light of a long range of time, no modern nation has been more uniformly and continuously progressive than Prussia. This progress is notable for its comparative freedom from temporary declines, but until the middle of the seventeenth century it was not more than a dull growth, silent, loyal, and uninteresting, save that today this history happens to be the primitive history of what has actually become the leading state in one of the most formidable of the great powers. The activity of the Hohenzollerns has been almost without rest. In warfare, in politics, in finance, in government, and in the royal marriage march as well, the successive princes of this line have usually gained some advantage. Each has something, little though it may have been, to the work of his predecessor. On only two, or perhaps three occasions, did sloth or decay become manifest. Thirteen reigns show enhancement of political power or national resources. Now some of these, it must be said, do not more than barely turn the scales in the favourable direction. The history of all that territory now comprised in the kingdom of Prussia would lead one far afield, but inasmuch in the main theme of the present investigation concerns itself with the relations of dynasties to national welfare, it will be sufficient to continue the early portion of this account to that small circle of modern Prussia, the mark of Brandenburg, the nucleus of a large state. The name Prussian Prussia was originally applied to territory on the shores of the Baltic adjacent to Lithuania, Courland, and Poland. This was for a long period under the control of the Teutonic Knights, and came by degrees under the sway of the Hohenzollerns, as did also Pomerania, which lies to the west of Prusin, and to the north of Brandenburg. These various unions were brought about during the 17th and 18th centuries. They came slowly into existence, so there is no clearly defined point at which to begin the history of the modern state. Specialists may dispute as to whether this starting point be taken from the period of the Great Elector, from Frederick I, or Frederick the Great. But these differences not bring confusion into the present inquiry, because this survey shall consider the conditions of only such geographical areas as come under the primogeniture line of the present royal family. As soon as these assertions had scoped the material in the earlier limits, the new and expanded nation shall be measured as a single entity. The mark of Brandenburg was, during medieval times, an outpost of the empire, and advanced line defences for the Teuton against the Slav. In 1415, the Emperor Sigismund rewarded Frederick of Hohenzollern, Burgrave of Nuremberg, with the government of the mark, as a return for services already rendered, and as a pledge for a loan of 400,000 gulden. Frederick was made Markgraf, Margrave, in 1415, and an elector of the empire in 1417, with permanent possession of the mark. For a century previous to the arrival of the Hohenzollerns, the internal conditions in Brandenburg had been weak and declining. Still the extinction of the Ascanians line in 1319, the central authority had become relaxed. Lawlessness and rapine had reduced the country to the lowest state of misery. Robert barons fought with each other, and powerful neighbours took such portions of the territory of Brandenburg as they were able. 
thus dominion of the hohenzollerns acquired was at first both small in extent about eleven thousand square miles and very unpromising in future outlook frederick the first of brandenburg did not wholly succeed in restoring order and affluence but he did bring about a decided improvement compared with conditions which had persisted for many years he was much occupied with the business of the emperor the hussite wars and affairs outside brandenburg but in spite of manifold distractions the new guardian of the frontier stemmed the rising tide of lawlessness with the mark and started the country on its long career of growth and uplift after many not always successful wars with mecklenburg and pomerania he succeeded in uniting again the Uckmark to brandenburg thus considerably extending his jurisdiction to the north frederick i was the wanderer of his contemporaries in the opinion of renake he was a genius of the first order though this rating seems too high one may easily agree with tuttle that he was one of the first soldiers of one of the best scholars in germany the improvement continued under frederick I's son frederick the second though the changes were not so notable the towns of berlin and cologne had suffered much during the lawlessness of the previous century these had gladly welcomed frederick the first as a champion of law and order but now that the burghers had grown richer they sought more prerogative instead of getting it they were obliged to bow all the lower in submission and berlin saw a royal castle within its walls it would be difficult to say whether this was good for the cities or not but it is evident that the cities had not shown themselves competent to guide their own fortunes during the extended area of sovereign absence during the frederick the second's reign the new mark was added treaties were made with mecklenburg saxony and hesse treaties advantageous to brandenburg the only point worth mentioning not on the favourable side was an increase in the national debt frederick the second though not as great as his father the founder had many exceptional qualities tenacity of purpose being the chief he was called by his contemporaries the iron man he was equal to the average of rulers or perhaps superior the third of the hohenzollerns to fill the post of elector became the most famous of the earlier members of the family that is the most famous of any from the tenth century to the thirty years war albert surnamed achilles was perhaps not greater than some of the others of his line who are less remembered but his type easily appeals to the imagination a brilliant cavalier active adventurous lavish in his display his influence is not entirely for good but his personality was paramount everywhere wars and the burdens of wars enemies humbled but at a gigantic cost such were the natural happenings under the guidance of a ruler like albert achilles there is little more to be said of this reign except that a strong hand kept fair order the first essential of all prosperity albert achilles was too much taken up with the business of the empire too ambitious and self-seeking to do justice to the land of his home at all events the mark of brandenburg did not become weakened from fourteen eighty six to sixteen nineteen a long period elapsed during which the history of the hohenzollern patrimony offers little to interest the general reader and all this dull routine came at a time when the history of many other european countries is filled with the stirring events of the renaissance and the reformation from sixteen nineteen to sixteen forty mediocrity gave way to disruption and brandenburg became interesting but only on account of its disasters caught as it was in the greater whirlpool of european wars and politics from fourteen eighty six to sixteen nineteen which carries a story as far as the ascension of frederick william the great elector 
no mastermind was born to the house of the hohenzollern as stated at the beginning of the chapter the efforts of the royal family of prussia have been almost without rest and their activities have been rewarded with a success both rare and remarkable even during the period of partial eclipse some very shrewd moves were made some acts or innovation which looked to the future welfare of the land but comparatively speaking taken either in terms of their subsequent control or measured against the progress made in other parts of europe this hundred and fifty years spells stagnation for the prussian state seven princes ruled during this era and the two of whom rise a little out of the middle grade joachim i and john george were vigorous persons and strong of will they seem the largest of the seven the two periods which are afraid the most favourable and progressive occurred under the rule of these two men this group of seven more or less mediocre princes with concomitant period of medium conditions was brought to a close with the death of john sigismund in sixteen nineteen prussia then until sixteen forty took a very marked drop and then rose again after sixteen forty until sixteen eighty five this makes the reign of george william one of exceptional interest coming just before the towering period of the great elector and following after a long era of credible though not remarkable conditions again following the great elector another sharp downward break occurred one genuinely glorious reign is thus placed between two which are acknowledged retrogressive furnishing the student of political historical movements a particular fine opportunity for observation for this reason i have made a critical study of this group of characters we carefully the various facts in order to utilize to the fullest extent their important teaching i have taken this period of history as a subject for analysis and dissection in chapter seventeen in connection with a larger question of the possibilities of arranging historical causes in the order of their weight or importance the detailed discussion of these well-known fluctuations in prussian development can there be seen the upturn of sixteen forty which saved the state when at the point of seeming annihilation was sudden in its beginnings it began even in the confusion of the thirty years war and flowed out more than anything else the young elector's genius farmy organization afterwards the same mastermind made itself seen in every feature of national life one european event which especially favored prussia was the expulsion of the huguenots from france the elector wisely offered the refugees asylum but the coming of these desirable citizens and the advantage which they brought to prussia may be as much the result of the folly of louis the fourteenth as the wisdom of frederick william the defect of the reign of the great elector lay in its supreme concentration it was a one-man power all forces of a popular nature had been strenuously depressed the estates had ceased to have any importance naturally with the death of the supreme head such a system would fall to pieces unless a strong successor followed the elector had been blamed for carrying the arbitrary policy too far and from this point of view and this only was his regime unprogressive the reply is that at this time or up to this time no other form of progress was possible save it hinged upon a more or less beneficent despotism one must always look at history in something of a pragmatic and not in idealized and utopian way personal liberty is to be desired but the rights of man cannot be counted as a national asset unless there be some assurance that the combined vice of the proletariat will work to the national and social advantage it might be fairly contended that the great elector would have done better had he trained his people to self-government and his subordinates to self-reliance 
but how was he to take the additional task of teacher? We know that he worked a wonderful result and pursued autocratic methods, but it is not justifiable to suppose that his work would have been injured just in proportion as he delegated authority and decision to others beneath himself. We do not know, and no one can assert, whether or not a more liberal policy would have been more advisable. After his death, affairs did go very much to pieces, and the criticism of his policy finds its chief justification here. But it must be remembered that Frederick I, 1688 to 1713, the son and successor, was by nature a weak man, weaker than the average of rulers, by all the indications that one can obtain. If he, too, like his grandfather, George William, is depreciated and blamed unjustly because of circumstances which no one could be expected to control, then how strange it is that these circumstances became uncontrollable during the years of Frederick I's tenure, but were controllable from 1640 to 1688. Afterwards, from 1713 to 1786, were again controllable. The troubles during the reign of Frederick I seem to have sprung from corruption among those high in office, from loosening the bonds of discipline among those lowered down, and from the lack of a determined and self-reliant policy in dealing with other nations. Just a sort of rotting away to be expected from lack of leadership. The public treasure was squandered both by the king and by his corrupt favourites. The army did not deteriorate as much as some other departments, though it also lost rather than gained. Immigration continued to be encouraged. Some few thousand refugees entered Prussia during the reign of Frederick I, but the picture of the rural and agricultural conditions is a dark one. When he died, desolation reigned everywhere. Immense spaces remained uncultivated. The one favourable happening which proved a great advantage to Prussia was the acquisition of the full royal title, Kingdom, rendering the nation dependent of the empire and placing it on terms of equality with other nations of Europe. Much has been written of the importance of this step, an advance which had not come under a weak ruler. Yet this is never ascribed to other influences than the personal activities of Frederick himself. In fact, the successes of Frederick in this line is sometimes cited as a proof of his regal ability. The truth appears to be that the three strongest traits of this ruler's nature were, in the most favourable and at least flattering wording, ambition or vanity, amiability or supineness, persistence or doggedness. Frederick was determined at all costs to have the crown, and he got it. He towed it to the emperor and spent a fortune for it. It is profitless to inquire into the motives which lay back of what proved to be a far more valuable acquisition than people supposed at the time. It so happened that the two successors of Frederick I were ordained to edge greatly to the national strength, to improve the finances, to expand the army, to increase the domain, and consequently to vastly enhance Prussia's international prestige. So it happened the title worked advantageously, but one might ask, did the rank of kingdom Conferry advantage per se. Would it have meant any real political advantage if the men who followed the first king had not been eminently constructive? Judged by analogy with other countries, we must answer in the negative. Denmark, Portugal, after 1580, and Poland, though kingdoms, remained innocuous to their rivals. Holland, under stadholders, gained a position among the first powers, which under the king she afterwards lost and never recovered. The rank may count for something in international success. It is as yet unproved that any formal status under which a nation is known, 
brings prestige and consideration without the actual and practical wherewithal to back up its claims material resources military strength actual or potential combined with ability on the part of the government to control the same would seem to be the essentials it was fortunate for prussia that the financial depletion should cease and that the next king frederick william i should develop into a sovereign entirely different from his father the contrast was complete the father had amiability and generosity qualities which might have stood as virtues in a weakness and prodigality ruined the state the son was devoid of anything bordering on generosity cold suspicious cruel determined to have his own way in everything his brutal and domineering policy harsh as it was towards liberality and culture worked well for the restitution of prussia's then declining strength according to rank frederick william i occupied a place besides charles XII of sweden and peter the great equally original in his measures for the organization of his military administrative and rigorously independent state at the outset of the reign frederick william introduced a system of conscription which however had the effect of driving young men out of the country finding this to be the result this measure was suspended at once the king wisely considered the question of population introduced foreign colonists from twelve thousand to fifteen thousand salzburgers were drawn into prussia so that sixty thousand miles of deserted land came again under the plough fifty-nine royal domains three hundred and thirty villages and six cities were repeopled training collecting and improving the army was a passion with frederick william who in spite of his peppery temper was a man of peace in international questions the country enjoyed practically twenty-five years of peace which was utilized in developing home industry collecting the taxes saving the money reforming the judiciary and building up a well-organized despotism before the death of the king the revenue of prussia had been doubled thus frederick the great came into a rich inheritance yet the fable circumstances do not in the least explain his great success the position of the great frederick among royalty reaching as he certainly does the first rank and comparing favorably with any of the picked military heroes of the world make it superfluous to more than point out this celebrated instance of a country coming into great importance under a great king although the history of the hohenzollern dominions from fourteen fifteen to seventeen eighty six gives a correlation as high between conditions and rules as the history of any european country even the spanish and portuguese monarchies in prussia and brandenburg there are no cases of plus ruler associated with minus conditions or of minus ruler associated with plus conditions end of section twelve